0: We will transport a patient to the hospital who may be non-urgent, if we can't get an ambulance to respond to the scene, I will transport, our crews will transport whenever they feel it is necessary, period. And that's within statute, and we're not going to stop. Enchanted Sky
1: Media. Media. Federal Resources Studio. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott.
2: That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. This show is going to be a little different than most episodes of Code 3. Today, we're taking a look at a feud going on in Arizona. AMR's Lifeline Ambulance Service is on the hot seat as two fire departments covering Yavapai County are complaining to state regulators that the ambulance response times are too long. Lifeline says it meets the state standards under its Certificate of Need, or CON, but is that enough? Joining me for this show are Chief Scott Freitag from Central Arizona Fire and Medical Authority and Glenn Kasperzik, COO for AMRs Arizona and New Mexico region. Scott, we'll start with you. How serious is this problem?
0: Well, you know, Scott, it just depends. There are times where they're there in and, and five or ten minutes, and there's other times that they're 20, 30, 40, up to an hour. And unfortunately, their certificate of need through, from the uh, State Department of Health Services in Arizona says that they just have to make it to 100% of the calls within 75 minutes, which we just don't feel is appropriate.
2: Glenn?
1: We want to make sure that there's resources for those critical calls. There are patients that are low acuity or low level calls that need to be managed in a different way. And in order to ensure that you have, and everyone's in the same boat here, you want to have the fastest response time possible. But when resources are being utilized in a manner that there's an opportunity to improve, that will only improve response times to all calls. So it's it, the critical calls, the heart attacks, the strokes, the trauma patients, those folks that need that immediate response quicker and we manage and prioritize other levels of calls so we get the appropriate response there. So there's there's no diminishing that a call it, that all calls are equal. We're actually working to better the system and making sure that the critical calls get handled. And that's no different when fire resources get stretched in the area. They're moving and posting. We do the exact same thing when when resources are on calls, we're moving and posting ensure that we're doing everything possible to minimize response time. Ambulances are a finite resource. So there's a lot of other factors that impact the availability of ambulances or prolong the response time of ambulances. So one is are we dispatching calls appropriately? So what I mean by that is based on the nature an emergency medical dispatch are we sending too many resources? Are we not sending enough resources? Should we be reallocating resources based on call? And, and the reason why I say that is on lower acuity call, we do have a very high number of times that an ambulance actually gets on scene and is then canceled on scene. So as they're driving to that particular call, if the fire crew that's there has determined that the patient doesn't need an ambulance, don't wait till the ambulance arrives, let's get an ambulance back in service for the next higher level of care. The other impact with that is looking at the on-scene time, so the time that the fire crew arrives and initiates care, the time the ambulance arrives and continues to partner and work on caring for that patient we have times in excess of 25-plus of minutes that we're on scene managing a patient, which years ago we would get on scene, we would begin treatment, we would load the patient in the ambulance, and we would take them to the hospital. So now the resources are tied up for a longer period of time dealing with a patient. So if the if the hospital's a mile down the road and we're spending 30 minutes Packaging and treating a patient, we should be working to get the patient to a higher level of care sooner. The other piece to that is once we transport to the hospital, the amount of time that we're spending there to offload. And when you look at the offload times in the period, and you're in excess of 40% of the times that you're greater than 30 minutes turning an ambulance back in service, those resources are now out of the system. So the discussion goes really beyond just response times, what are all of the other factors that we could work together collectively, collaboratively, looking at all the data to improve the overall emergency response system in the Quad Cities area.
2: You mentioned that it's it's not just the time it takes to get to the scene. It's the amount of time spent on the scene, the amount of time spent at the hospital. Is it incumbent upon you to take that into consideration in your planning?
1: I think what's incumbent is to work with the agencies and work with the medical directors and improve that time. The times that, that I see in the reports that I look at compared to other areas that we serve are in excess and you have to improve the system. We can't accept to say that spending 30 minutes on scene with a patient is acceptable. We can't say that spending 30 plus minutes at a hospital is is acceptable. What we can fix is is when we know where there are pinch points in the system and we all collectively work to improve the system. You can factor those into deployment. And certainly, certain types of patients that are delivered and certain types of patients based on criticality on scene will have higher or lower amount of interaction time. But when you look at the amount of volume in the Quad Cities area, you have to start to look at that and have a system discussion, because those are the things that impact the system. In all reality, putting more resources or adding ambulances is only one part of a fix. It's really a system approach that makes healthcare delivery to improve patient outcomes, to improve routing patients to the most appropriate facility. And that is also somewhat of a challenge in rural areas because the infrastructure is less than a system like Phoenix, and it doesn't mean that the system is bad, but you have less population. Those are the stakeholder discussions. I think that if we want to talk about improving a system and impacting response times, we have a discussion about some of the other factors that are impacting response time.
2: All right. Now, if I'm having a heart attack, I, you know, I'll be frank here. I don't care what your problems are in terms of allocating resources. I want to see an ambulance there reasonably quickly. But CAPMA has recorded 17 instances where it's been 30 minutes or more. In February, one response took 49. In December, there was one that took, I believe, 53. It looks as though you just don't have the resources to to do the job effectively.
1: So there's always discussion. The local operators, the hospital, the fire department meet collectively. What I believe needs to occur is we need to start benchmarking and actually compiling and having reports. So we take it out of the let's talk about talking about it, but we actually put the metrics down, we all talk about the metrics, and we look at where we used to be and how the system has been allowed to to change, and now we go back to say where can we make an impact and put measurable data out there so you can actually see the trend over time and make improvement.
0: Scott? In Prescott recently, they had a 41-minute response time, which led to an untoward outcome for a patient. That's absolutely unacceptable.
2: Glenn, your response? In reference to
1: that, I'm not going to comment because there is an investigation that's been submitted to the Bureau where, where we have reviewed it. We are going to provide information to the Bureau. And I think until all of the facts can be provided, it would be a little premature to speculate or characterize what transpired on one particular call.
0: We just had a unit, one of our units, respond to a call within the city limits of Prescott. They saw an ambulance, an AMR ambulance, sitting down the street from the call. When the captain went inside, they assessed the patient, they called dispatch, gave an update, they called and asked for for the response time, or the ETA, for the ambulance, and they were told 30 minutes. The captain responded back, I see an ambulance at the end of the street. And the response back from dispatch was, your ambulance is coming from somewhere further away. That was a 30-minute response time.
1: And that one, the feedback that I received from the local ops, is that was a Med2 response. They were responding. We don't have any information. I can't speak to what the captain saw or where those LLA units, but based on the feedback I have is I don't have anything conclusive that says there was an ambulance down the road from that call. And we have AVL, and the local team reviewed it and was unable to locate what, or unable to corroborate what the captain was indicating.
2: I'll be back with more right after this.
1: Federal Resources is a mission-critical solutions provider with only one goal, to empower and prepare the first responder for any threat, at home or abroad, that they are called on to respond to. Your mission is to protect and defend. Our mission is to make sure you're equipped with the knowledge and training on response techniques to current threats. We'll make sure you know the latest innovations in technology to ensure mission success every time. You look out for everyone else. Let us look out for you. Learn more at federalresources.com.
2: Scott, what do you say?
0: As long as DHS allows that certificate of need to stand with those numbers, then they can continue to work under that, that certificate of need without a problem, no matter what we say. Now, it does cause problems for us besides just the extended time on the scene working a patient. Our units cannot leave. Once we arrive on scene, we can't leave until we turn the patient over to the same or higher level of care for transport to a facility, which means if we're on scene for an hour with a patient, our engine is just out of service for an hour with the patient.
2: You know, what I'm wondering now is if your people respond to the scene, they do whatever treatment they can do and wait for a transport, what happens if that patient starts to deteriorate and there's still no transport arriving?
0: Well, in my agency within CAFMA, we'll follow the, the protocol set forth in state statute, and if at all possible, we will transport that patient to the hospital.
2: In a fire engine.
0: We'll transport them in a fire engine if we have to, if it becomes critical. And we've done that numerous times over the years. But there's other times, Scott, I'll tell you that we will will transport a patient to the hospital who may be non-urgent if we can't get an ambulance to respond to the scene. And we need to get that unit back in service. We can't just stay on scene for an hour, hour and a half waiting for somebody to arrive. We have a responsibility to the greater area to provide service, and we, we can't just sit there and wait all night. And an example of this was last year, our crew was at two o'clock in the morning, was on the scene with a patient and an outdoor area. And AMR's ambulance arrived on the scene and they were they were in code red. And what code red means is there was only one ambulance for the entire area. And when I say the entire area, I'm talking about the Quad City area. Over three hundred square miles, there was one ambulance. That's all that was there. You're talking 130,000-plus residents, one ambulance. So that ambulance arrived on the scene within view of the patient, didn't get out. Our captain walked up, knocked on the window, asked if they were going to get out of the ambulance. They said no. They were leaving for another call, and they left. That was in view of the patient. So the next closest ambulance was coming from the Cordes Junction area at Interstate 17. And at that particular time, there was construction on Highway 69, which had lanes shut down. So obviously there's traffic, there's delays. And our crew made the call, hey, we can't sit here all night. And the ambulance that come is coming in is, again, the only one for this entire area. So even if they get here, they may not stay. So they transported the patient. We filed a complaint with DHS and said the ambulance was on scene. They left. DHS responded back, well, technically that's not a problem because they didn't hit the button and say they were on the scene. So there was no ramifications for them arriving and leaving or the fact that there were no ambulances available up in this area.
1: The information, Scott, on that one is I think there's a little bit more to the story. The crew arrived. There was a higher acuity call that responded. They were relieved from that scene to go to a higher level call. And there was some other dialogue between the dispatch center and our dispatch center. So based on that information, I I think there's some parts and pieces to that one, you know, that are missing based on the ambulance and the second ambulance that did arrive three minutes that appears after and then was canceled by CAFMA.
0: AMR turned around, filed a complaint on us for transporting the patient that they left on the scene.
2: Now, what became of that complaint?
0: Well, DHS contacted me. I sent them a letter that basically said that I will transport, our crews will transport whenever they feel it is necessary, period. And that's within statute, and we're not going to stop. And DHS responded back, we're not sure that was the appropriate call in this situation, but given the circumstances, we're not going to move this any further. Let me be clear. CAFMA crews will, in no uncertain terms, transport when they deem necessary. And we will not charge the patient, which is within state statute.
2: All right. So then the obvious question is, would you like CAFMA to run its own ambulances?
0: I think what we would like initially, Scott, is to approach DHS, file as interveners with AMR-CON, and see if we can't, one, carve out the geographic boundaries of the towns and cities within the Prescott Basin. So the first approach is set a better standard of response times and carve out geographic boundaries, and then require AMR to meet those. Now, that requires us all, and that means elected officials from all the communities in this area, as well as CAFMA, FIRE, and, and Prescott to file as interveners in their CON process. The other thing I would like to do is maybe visit with other private ambulance services in the state and see if any of them would like to put in or file as interveners and see if they would like to try to get a CON up in this area. I think if if we cannot come to some sort of an agreement Um, with Department of Health Services and with AMR or with another company to provide service up here, then I think the option needs to be considered. The question in our area is, what does the public want? Because politically, in Yavapai County especially, there's a lot of concern for public versus private, and that's how they couch the argument. It's not patient care, it's public versus private. We're focused as a fire department on patient care. That's our concern. So the question for the community would be, what service level do you want? Here's what you're getting. Here's what we're seeing. Do you want that or do you want us to do something more? Now, ideally, if we had a CON, what would happen is that a private provider would still provide services in this area. We would have additional resources in the area between CAFMA and Prescott as far as ambulance service. We, as the fire department, would solely be focused on 911 transport and not interfacility. facility And then the, the private provider would not only do interfacility facility but provide backup to our units. And we would work in a system that has that is working in harmony with each other, meaning that we have automatic vehicle locators and the closest appropriate unit responds to the call. The, the bottom line is there's no backup. So if you have one ambulance service and they're the only ones that can operate in this area, there's no backup. Now what DHS will tell you is every ambulance service has to have a backup. And what DHS told us is AMR's backup for this area is AMR out of Maricopa. So now you're talking an hour and a half plus away to get a backup up here. I, I agree. I, I hope we can. Um, the intent is to – Uh, get people together as kind of a coalition, Um, go to the state and say, here's what we believe are appropriate response times. And we'll look at national response time standards. We understand that an ambulance isn't held to the exact same standard as a fire engine because when the fire engine leaves the call, they generally go back to the station. When the ambulance leaves the call, they generally go to the hospital, which means a longer downtime. So we understand that response time standards for ambulances should be slightly longer than those for a fire engine. But we do believe that they should be measured at the 90th percentile, not the 70th. And we think that there should be standards set uh, per national standards that say in urban areas, so Prescott proper, Prescott Valley proper, this is the standard that should be met. As we start getting out a little bit further in what we would term suburban areas, if you start looking at Chino Valley, that's a little more spread out, but more densely populated than real rural areas, it would be this standard to the 90th percentile. And then when you start getting in the more rural areas, it's this standard to the 90th percentile. And that fits national models. What we have in the CON today for AMR Lifeline under the Arizona Department of Health Services does not fit that standard.
2: So then, what what do you believe is the root cause of those thirty minute on scene times? Why is that happening?
1: I'm not saying that there's there's blame on on either side but what are the things we're doing on scene collectively and where are those pinch points occurring from when you know the fire department arrives on scene, initiates care to where a crew gets on scene to what are they doing when they're both managing a patient and kind of getting a, a flow of, of what that looks like and road mapping it out to say what is, it, what is a benchmark? Where do we want to get to? And understanding all the factors. Again, I think when we look at data and we start to break down a system, the, the point of, of quality assurance and quality improvement shouldn't be from a punitive approach. It should be from a proactive approach to enhance the system and measure those patient outcomes. There's, there's no one person is wrong and another person is right. I think it's getting an understanding and, and looking for where we want to improve.
2: Okay, gentlemen, we'll leave it there. I'd like to thank Scott Freitag and Glenn Kasperczyk for talking with me on Code 3 today. And we put some more information about fire department and ambulance conflicts on our website at code3podcast.com slash AMR. Check it out. Here comes your trivia question. What valve is located between the left atrium and the left ventricle? I'll have the answer right after this.
0: Now's your chance to
1: get your hands on Code 3 t-shirts, sweatshirts, and more. Show your support for the podcast that supports firefighters from coast to coast. Just go to Code3Podcast.com and click on the Code 3 store link. Or go to Code3Podcast.com slash shop and
0: tell the world that you're a Code 3 fan.
2: And here's your trivia answer. The mitral valve is located between the left atrium and the left ventricle. All right, that's it. That's all for this unusual edition of Code 3. If you have any comments about the show, just email me, scott at code3podcast.com. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. Code
1: 3 is made possible through the generous support of Federal Resources. Visit them at federalresources.com. This show is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to code3podcast.com.